Hobin Province in Vietnam is the gateway to the mountainous northwest region of the country. It's only about 80 kilometres from Hanoi, but its geography is dramatically different to the national capital. Hobin is lush and verdant, home to a range of ethnic minorities. It is quiet and relaxing. In one of its regions, Dabak, some of the most magnificent scenery in Vietnam is available to those who come to stay. There are lush rice paddies, magnificent caves, glistening lakes and limestone casts. It has been a profoundly poor part of the country. Many of the communities have been displaced from the region's fertile foothills to make way for a large hydroelectric dam. Forced to relocate to mountainous regions, many of the locals found their age-old farming practices were not suited to the new environment. Life became grindingly difficult. Australian academic and philanthropist Dr Vance Gledhill recalls meeting a local man during an early visit to the Dabaka area of the province. Well, I spoke to one villager and I said, how much do you make a day out of whatever he was doing, fish farming or something like that? $2. So he had to feed his whole family on $2 a day. And I thought, I can do better than that. And he did, with the help of a few others. Vance Gledhill is not someone who takes many backward steps. He is a computer scientist and academic and an ardent eco-tourist and hiker. Dr Vance, as he's known to many Vietnamese villagers, recently celebrated his 81st birthday. His moment of inspiration came five years ago when he brought his experience of eco-tourism to Vietnam. He wasn't there to initiate a tourism project, but was exploring new ways of applying his philanthropy. In discussions with locals and experts, a new idea emerged that would reduce some of the economic hardship for those locals. Dr Vance's inspiration in Vietnam had come from a first-hand experience of the New Zealand networks of walking huts that enabled tourists on three-week hikes to walk during the day and have accommodation in locally made huts at night. What if he tried to do something like that in Dubuque? What about building a homestay experience around local food, local culture and local people? Get Europeans here, or Americans mostly, a few hundred US dollars would make a huge difference to these people and that was the start of it. And then I found some wonderful people in Vietnam that wanted to carry on with it and that's now called Action on Poverty. Action on Poverty has had a long association with Vietnam spread across three decades. But as CEO Braden Howie remembers it, Dr Vance was referred to them by another organisation. And Dr Vance had gone to the Dabak area with an eye not on homestay tourism, but on a renewable energy project. But the discussion went off in a slightly different direction. It wasn't as though we were set up for doing community-based tourism. This was new mm. to us at that time. Mm. We'd been involved in Vietnam around health work and agriculture and economic development and livelihoods. So it was quite an organic and, and serendipitous kind of process that led us to this particular project. The program became something more than a walking tour. It involved the community celebrating its local culture, setting up homestay opportunities and providing the opportunity for tourists to experience the food, stories and cultural performances of the areas. But as Action on Poverty's Tavan Tuan tells it, there was a work to be done to convince the locals about the merit of community-based tourism, known as CBT. Tourism is a very special and unique services. They are not familiar 
with the concept. They didn't understand what is CBT is about. They always figure tourism is something like in a beach, a luxury hotel, rather than like a homestay, a dancing performance, or a talk, a storytelling. The locals remained uncertain not only how such a scheme would work, but even if tourists would be interested in visiting, let alone staying. Tuan set about convincing them. They didn't believe that people would keen to see their culture or community with that uh, isolated and remote area. So we, um, we took them by, you know, try, we try to convince them that it could work. So we took them to visit some areas in another place where some homestay uh, owner tried to provide some accommodation for the customers, at least to introduce them with a concept of homestay. And gradually, we tried to bring some foreign visitors. We brought Vans, his friends, and AOP Sydney College to come at least to talk to the community so they understand that foreign people are interested in these products and gradually build their confidence. There had been several different strategies AOP had tried in the past and this new idea was completely novel. There was no experience of community-based tourism in the region, but as Tuan recalls it, everyone learnt by doing. We could attract visitors, people who are interested in the, in, in the products. And then they continue to come back and use the services. And especially we attract more foreigners, foreign tourists, uh, visitors than we expected. We didn't think that with that culture products, with that experience, more visitors would be interested in coming and visiting the model. For the locals, it might at first have been challenging, but over time it became transformative. The program enabled some of those in the local community to re-engage with their ancient cultural heritage and from there to reinvigorate it, whether it was by performing it or even in some cases cooking it. The sense of change was palpable. My name is Lo Thị Trang. I was born and raised in Dapia village, Da Bắc Hòa Bình. I'm currently program intern with AOP in Vietnam. Before community-based tourism or CBT, our life was mainly based on agriculture. It was difficult and precarious back then. Our small village is also located at the end of the commune and excluded from local development policies. Because there was no concrete road to the village, no one visited us. People were quite isolated and didn't have opportunities to go outside. Life was mostly self-sufficient. Before CBT, no one thought of tourism. Even I never thought that I could run a tourism service in my hometown. Before, I also never thought about developing my homeland, but only thought about how to live well. But when there was CBT, I thought in two directions. CBT can both stabilize my family income and contribute to the development of my homeland. Dr. Vance is quick to highlight how important Tuan has been getting the community to embrace the change and help with the practical elements of setting up the homestay model as well. But there's no doubt that Dr Vance himself has carved out something of a reputation in the area. The nice bit is last time I went up there, I went to one of my very first families, lovely people, and they said, Dr Vance, we are so grateful to you, we are no longer poor. And why does he think it works? The people respect what we were trying to do, know what we were trying to do, and saw the benefit of what we were trying to do. Dr Vance might have been the inspiration, but Action on Poverty brought the idea to life in consultation with the local community. 
Tuan has seen that program's positive impact. We witnessed the people are so happy, excited with their participation and owning the model. They start getting income, but they are quite happy with the way they can stay at home, interacting with the visitors. It changed the income. It created a lot of jobs. It made the village more beautiful because people are much more organized in terms of renovating the house, but also renovating the community. They improve the road. They actually preserve the culture. And also they protect their environment. It has spread throughout the area. There are many as three homestay venues in some villages. Some have taken the initiative of creating their own homestay, jacking up their homes to put them on stilts, building kitchens and bathrooms so that they create dormitories for tourists. The initiative has been a powerful example, not just to the Vietnamese, but other countries in the region. The Vietnamese government like the model so much, they've asked them if they can replicate it through Vietnam, in other parts of Vietnam, not just in Bindo province. And just two weeks ago, I heard that Thailand have also asked the same group in Hanoi if they would help them set up a program there. And while the model appears replicable across the region, Braden advocates a measured approach. I think for communities facing similar circumstances, it's replicable. Obviously, not every community that's experiencing poverty has circumstances that would suit a tourism model. And I think it's probably important to point out, too, that any form of tourism is not necessarily going to address poverty. It needs to be structured in such a way that the community is central to the program, that the community has an ownership over the program. There's many examples of tourism in developing community areas that have substantial external investment. Those investors need to see their returns and those can drive models that aren't necessarily to the benefit of the communities that they're located within. So I think it's important that the right principles be applied, but also that it's applied in the right context. There are discussions about expanding Action on Poverty's program to Timor-Leste and the Pacific, although the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on travel and tourism has halted further discussions. But already, in partnership with the English Family Foundation, there are similar AOP initiatives in other Vietnamese locations. Belinda Morrissey, CEO of the English Family Foundation, explains how the foundation came to be involved. We were approached by Action on Poverty in relation to taking their community-based tourism model that they had brought into the Dabak region and replicating it into the Swanson National Park. For us, within our global livelihoods approach, it really resonated on a number of different issues, particularly that it was community-driven. So they had already been working very deeply and closely with those villages inside the Swanson National Park for a number of years. And they were then bringing this model to a community that they were already part of and they understood that the community really wanted that. So that grassroots community engagement and community-driven project is a really fundamental approach to the way that we look at our global giving program. But in a broader sense, there are important issues of resilience and diversifying income generation that underpin the approach. We take a very strong sort of systems approach. So it spoke to that systems thinking. It was about, well, how do you actually 
diversify incomes and provide resilience across a number of levels within these communities inside the Swanson National Park. To do that, it was about bringing the community-based tourism model, which was replicable, it was scalable, it was based on global best practice. It had a lot of benefits that they had already, the learnings that they had already gained from the Dabak region. But it also, by bringing that into these particular villages, it was not just about the community-based tourism. It was about creating resilience across management skills, across diversifying their income. It was about how do you ensure that income-generating activities go right across the community to reach the poorest of the poor? How do you look at microfinance and credit facilities and really broaden out a number of different approaches across that communities so that therefore those communities could be more resilient in the future. Belinda also identifies one of the key ingredients of Action on Poverty's success in the model. Quite simply, it's multifaceted. I think what they've been able to achieve really succinctly over three years, and and don't forget it has only been three years, so they're just going through their final evaluation of a more broad-based evaluation of their work in Vietnam, of which this will form an integral part. But by actually looking at a multifaceted approach, that's where I think Action on Poverty and the teams that they have inside Vietnam have actually been able to bring a lot of benefits of scale and efficiency. So when I say that, I'm talking about the fact that they've used five different ancillary livelihood models over and above the homestays. So there's tea making, there's beekeeping, there's cultural performances. So there's quite a number of alternate models that actually engage larger numbers. The programs also have a strong gender focus that ensure that more women are directly involved. And this is in a communities that often women struggle to actually uh, lead those income generating activities. So to be able to empower the women um, to, to lead those activities, I think has been really, really important. And I think the other issue that is vital to raise is that right from the beginning, Action on Poverty had a very clear joint and shared vision with the community that this would be a community-owned asset. It is something Lo Thi Trang has seen firsthand with her own mother. My mother directly participates and benefits from the local tour guide group. We also run a homestay, giving us a chance to interact and talk with visitors around the world. As a local guide, my mother has opportunities to convey her ethnic cultural stories to tourists. Her way of telling stories has improved day by day. From a quiet and close woman, she has become more open and confident. In the past, my mother rarely went out because she couldn't afford it or had no chance to do so. But now, Whenever she has time, she goes to all the tourist places to see how people operate tourism services and learn. There are, however, important considerations and concerns about what impact such an approach can have on small communities such as these. Not just environmentally, but culturally, socially, there's a whole range of protection-related issues too that can emerge, not to mention the fraud and corruption and these kinds of... But there's very legitimate concerns around initiating tourism in resource-poor contexts. So, yes, there is that potential. 
and I think that's why we would argue that it needs to be very carefully managed with the community at the centre. Tourism for tourism's sake is not a development solution in itself, but community-led development in whatever form it takes and in a context where tourism is suitable, then community-led development can be just as successful as other forms of development in that context. Twan's advice is simple. Communities have to remember to live their own life. It's really a plea for authenticity and remaining true to their history. It is the village life, after all, that tourists have come to see. And Dr Vance's example is an important one. As a solo philanthropist, he offers a telling alternative to the conventional view that overseas aid is really the purview of governments. Private philanthropy is the future for development activity internationally. Governments and the, you know, the large institutional donors, their influence is waning. Part of that is declining budgets, as we see in our own country. We've seen the absorption of AusAid into the Department of Foreign Affairs. Um, we are, and I think it's a bit of a global trend, placing less emphasis on that particular lever of foreign policy, which means that we have less influence on the development agenda from a government and institutional donor perspective. The program's impact goes beyond the economic benefits. There are profound personal consequences, as Lo T. Trang points out. In October 2020, I started participating as a program intern at AOP in Vietnam. In this new role, I had a chance to partake in projects to develop CBT models beyond my hometown. I hope to contribute to making a positive change in many more ethnic communities. Ethnic minorities like us used to have closed cell system about our culture. But through the work related to CBT that I'm doing with AOP, I want to inspire all the young ethnic minority people to see the beauty of their own culture and see what they need to promote and save so that the cultural diversity of ethnic minorities in Vietnam will not be broken and lost. For the retired scientist, it's all a bit of a revelation. I didn't think I'm going to teach these people to be entrepreneurs. I'm going to teach these people to improve their living standards. You just do it. I'm sure you do the same sort of thing. If you think too much about something, you won't do it. I've also got this thing that they've now put into their logo in their building. Dr Vance wants to change the world. Dash, this is what I say, one person at a time. That was the Philanthropy Australia podcast. I'm Nick Richardson. Thanks for listening.